you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. He's everything we need. Your deliverer, your strong tower, your provision, your way maker, your healer. Whatever you need, you find in Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord today. Grateful for the opportunity to be able to stand before you and minister in this house today. Thank you for your faithfulness to the house of the Lord. I saw some of you at a distance at General Conference this past week. What a great time we had in Indianapolis. Some wonderful preaching and worship. And we all left inspired. Amen. Two of the key messages at General Conference this week were taken from the book of Nehemiah, and I felt the Lord was speaking so powerfully uh, to the apostolic movement and where we are. I told my wife as I listened to our General Superintendent, David, Dr. David K. Bernard, As he spoke to us on Thursday night, I told my wife, I said, he didn't come with anything revelatory, but it was as if he had been sitting in every meeting that we've had here and in every church service and every conversation that we have had, because what he spoke was so direct and seemingly deliberate, and somehow it felt like that maybe we were an isolated case, but as he began to speak to our movement as a whole, I began to realize what he was speaking on is happening all around the world. And so we're not isolated. We're part of something great. And I want to bring to you this morning If you were there and heard the message, I want to just link up with where he ended and I want to continue this morning. So if you'll give me the liberty to preach the third message. If you were at General Conference, you heard two messages from Nehemiah chapter 4. Today you're going to hear message number 3. Nehemiah chapter 4. And I'm going to begin with verse number 6. And of course this is so very familiar story, but I want to extrapolate from this passage something that is going to speak to your heart this morning so that every life may be able to be touched and moved by the power of the Almighty God. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse number 6. Anybody thankful for the Lord this morning? Amen. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse number 6. So built we the wall, and all the walls were joined together to the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah, the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, Watch, then they were very wroth. And what did they do? They conspired, all of them together, to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it 
Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. So after the walls were built and the word came forth, we're done, we're finished. It happened. What you tried to, to stop happening from happening has now happened. They were wroth, and now they wanted to bring war against them. And not only just bring war against them, but they also, they just wanted to hinder them. They wanted to hinder the progress that God had for them. And so there's two things that this scripture points out that they did. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and we set watch against them day and night. So they watched and they prayed. Matthew chapter 26 verse 41, and I'm going to let you be seated. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. Can anybody say amen to that text this morning? By the help of the Lord, I want to talk to you for a little bit this morning about dealing with hindrances. Dealing with hindrances. Lord, help me this morning to speak what you have laid upon my heart, that every person in this room may find what they're looking for through your word and by your spirit today. God, lives could be changed. People could be encouraged. Lord, I pray this morning for the unction of the Holy Ghost to rest upon the men of God to preach this morning and the hearts of men to hear the word to receive it and respond appropriately in Jesus' name. Everybody put your hands together and give God praise. Come on, would you lift your voice with that hand clap this morning and thank the Lord for his presence and his power that is in this building this morning. We honor you today, God, and we thank you for your spirit in this room. Jesus' name. Look at your neighbor and tell them, don't be hindered, and you may be seated. There's three things here that I feel that we need to just speak coming right out of the gate with this message or lesson this morning. First of all, we all deal with hindrances. Nobody, nobody escapes hindrances. When I was in school, we had the ability, if you had perfect attendance, when it came to your testing at the end of the semester, you could, you could be excused from your semester exams and your grades would be taken based off of how well you had done. So they just literally left the testing out and you had two free days off if you had faithful attendance. I didn't get those very many times. It was the way that you could escape the testing was just to show up to school every day. And so there were people that would drag themselves into school sick because they didn't do well on testing. And some of us didn't do well in school, so we needed to, the testing because we could we could get through the testing, and we could do well on testing. And so, uh, you know, we, we would go ahead and take our days when, when they would come. But the truth is, is in life, there's no way to escape or be exempt from testing. Things are going to come. Hindrances are going to come. The second thing that I want to, to point out that is very obvious in this text is that they set watch against them day and night. So we must watch against hindrances. So we must identify them. We must recognize them for what they are. There's a lot of things that happens in life that we blame on a lot of different things. Perhaps before you leave today, I could help somebody that may be in this room that, that is going through something today or will face something tomorrow and you will identify it right off the start and say, wait a second, I'm not going to get frustrated at who's causing it, at where it's coming from, because I know it is a hindrance from the enemy that is warring against my soul. And so we have to identify who's on a mission 
to hinder us. The third thing is, is that we must develop a form of prayer. We must develop a prayer life because hindrances are targeted at our soul, but they work through the flesh. Multiple times through Scripture do we see the idea that, that the Spirit is willing, but there is a problem. The flesh is weak. Can I get an amen? When you know that this is what you, the Spirit is willing, you, you know what you need from God, you know what you want from God, you know what you ought to do, but the issue is, is that the flesh always gets in the way. And so hindrances often are a spiritual battle in your life, but, and they are targeted really at your soul, but they work through the flesh. I trust the Spirit of God that is in me, but I don't trust this flesh. I don't know about you, I'm guessing it's the same because the Bible kind of points out that we all deal with some of the same things, but the truth is, is this flesh shows up in me all the time. And it's the greatest battle that I fight is the battle of the flesh. The idea here is that the enemy finds ways to hinder you so he can get through to you and bring depression on you, anxiety on you. Is it too early for me to start like this this morning? Paul asked the Galatians church in the fifth chapter, in the seventh verse, he said, you were running really well. You were doing good. And then he asked the question, who hindered you that you should not obey the truth. It wasn't that the Galatians didn't want to obey the truth. The idea that the Apostle Paul is bringing out is that you allowed the hindrance, O Galatians, you allowed the hindrances to override doing what you knew you ought to do. And so he asked the same question to the, Thessal the, the church in Thessaloniki. The Thessalonians, he asked them the question in the second chapter in the 18th verse. He said, We, he said, we were going to, we had intention to come to you. We were, we were, we were going to get there and have church with you. We were going to come worship with you. But then he said an interesting thing. He said, But Satan hindered us. The same apostle that asked the church in Galatia, who hindered you? He turned around and identified when he wrote his letter to the Thessalonians, and he says to them, it was Satan that hindered us. In our text, Nehemiah is building a wall. And in this story of the walls, many of you have read this passage and are familiar with this passage or heard me or someone else preach from this passage about the building of the wall. While the wall was being built, Nehemiah was dealing with all sorts of distractions. He's on the wall. You remember the story? He's on the wall. And there's people coming while he's up on the scaffolding building the wall. And they're, they're yelling up at him and saying, Hey, hey, you need to come down and talk to us. The king has sent for you. But he said, No. He said, I, You go back and you tell the king that I'm doing a good work and I cannot come down off the wall. And so we've preached that, talked about that, and celebrated that, and we've been blessed by it as we have looked at what God is doing, that we have to stay the course and keep building the wall when the enemy's calling and coming against us. But today, I'm coming to a point where I feel maybe more strategic for this church and where we are as an assembly. And it is that we have built, we, we've been building on a building. I, we talked a lot about it to different people this week. They would ask, well, tell me about your building. Tell me about your church. Tell me about your family. Where are you? What's happening? What's going on in your life? People I haven't seen for a very long time. And uh, then I would talk to others that are in building projects and they had questions and, and so they're asking questions and what happened and how did you get here and, and how did you navigate this? Or, and, and so in these discussions we, we were talking about, uh, about where we are and I said, well, it was three years and then we finally were able to move in the building. We've been in now, uh, October now uh, makes four years. Did you know this is four years? This month, 
we've been worshiping in this new facility. And so it still feels new. And so I, I'm thankful for it. And so we, we fought all these battles while we were building the wall and, and we looked at this text and, and, and we even, we even uh, discussed this text and preached from this text many times. Uh, we're, we've just got to keep building the wall and not be distracted, not let the enemy come. But our text today picks up with an interesting point of after that the wall has been built and the gaps have been filled and the wall has been brought together and the news spread out and when the news spread of what was happening and, and, and how that God had blessed and how the people had a mind to work and we got it all done, then there was another attack. Hmm. It feels like maybe where some of us are. Then there was another attack that came. When they all began to hear about what is going on, Nehemiah was building the wall and distractions are on every side. Listen, one of the greatest weapons Satan uses is the weapons of hindrances. If he can hinder and distract you, he can stop and prevent you from doing what the Lord wants you to do. But I have to be honest with you today, one of the greatest distractions that the church deals with today is the weapon of discouragement. Because can I tell you, hindrances, hindrances such as distractions breed discouragement. I understand correction. I understand there's been some that have that have not received correction well, and when they don't receive correction well from the Word of God or from or from the man of God, they they can't handle it, and they're, they 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 just can't they they just can't ever right themselves because correction comes, but particularly if that correction is a strong word of correction. But I I don't fear those that that uh, that that cannot handle correction, but I worry a lot about those that get caught up in distractions and allow discouragement to come from the distractions and they fail to recognize that there is an enemy. Paul called him Satan. He said, for Satan has hindered us. There is an enemy that is warring against you and he is coming to distract you on every in every way possible. He is coming to hinder you in every way possible and ultimately Ultimately, he is wanting to get through to bring discouragement in your life and to cause you to become frustrated and feel like giving up and feel like quitting. I come today to declare that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who hath given us the victory. Oh, I just feel like getting in the Word this morning and telling you no weapon formed against us is going to prosper. Come on, somebody's got to get up today and pull yourself up from your bootstraps and say, I've been through it, I've gone through it, but I'm coming out of it. I refuse to stay discouraged. As a pastor... I'm not exempt from discouragement. I wish, I wish I could tell you that my family and I are exempt from discouragement, but we're not. We, we deal with the same discouragement that you deal with. And there's times that I have to just pray myself out of discouragement. And there's times that I have to preach myself out of discouragement. Sometimes when I'm when I come and preach on discouragement, and you wonder why in the world's pastor preached three times on discouragement in the last three months. Well, it may be that I'm personally dealing with discouragement. Sometimes I just preach my way out of it. And then sometimes I just worship my way out of it. I just come in the house of the Lord and say, you know what? I don't feel like it today, but I'm going to lift my hands anyway. I don't feel like it today, but I'm going to clap my hands anyway. I don't feel like being present, but I'm showing up anyway. How many have learned to pray and worship your way out of some of your darkest nights? Fear, fear can be a hindrance. Hindrances come in all sorts of different packages, but they all come with the same motive, and they're all attached to the flesh. That's the reason that fasting is so important to us. 
This is why that we have to we have to constantly be on guard with prayer and fasting. I call a fast, and people resist, of course, because it's the flesh. They find every excuse possible not to jump on board and say, "Hey, I'm going to fast." And we find an excuse, or we find a complaint, or we find a reason. But the issue is, is we have to keep this flesh under subjection. You can trust the Holy Ghost that is in you, but you cannot trust your flesh because if you start walking according to the will of the flesh, you're going to fail every time. And so through fasting, we can become stronger spiritually and overcome the flesh. So when the weapons of the enemy comes and begins to hinder us and it is targeted at the flesh, through fasting we have conquered the flesh and we can stand strong and be spiritual and resist the devil but be instead fast in the faith. Now, I know I'm throwing a lot at you out there, and if you're not following closely this morning, you may miss the scriptural thread that I'm bringing at you. But the idea, let me run backwards through what I just said now so that you can understand what I'm bringing together. How you resist the devil is by being steadfast in the faith. See, people who are unstable and not steadfast in the faith, you are the enemy. You're not a target of the enemy. He's not worried about you because that's what he's wanting you to do. He's wanting you to not be steadfast in the faith because when you're steadfast in the faith, you are resisting the devil. You are resisting Satan who comes to hinder. When you are steadfast and you show up to, to church when you don't feel like it and you're faithful when it's not pleasant, you show up, you know what you're doing, you're not being hindered. You are hindering the, 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 you are spoiling the works of Satan. You are sending him to flight. You are resisting him by being steadfast. And when you resist him, the Bible says he will flee. So the only way to get the enemy to stop messing with you is to resist him. And when you resist, he will flee. And how do you resist by being steadfast? You get that? So the weapon of the enemy is to discourage you. And he discourages you spiritually so that it will affect you in your flesh. And so then we begin to act out in the flesh with our attitudes, with our spirits, with a lack of faithfulness. And on and on and on and on. And so our vocabulary changes and our, our subject matter and conversation changes. And, and, and the enemy, it's the work of the enemy. His tool is working on you. And, and all sorts of, of things can come. But I want you to understand something this morning. You can resist him by saying, I refuse to give him preeminence in my life. When the news that the wall was built, when Nehemiah sent out the news and people began to talk about it, the distractions didn't stop for Nehemiah. As a matter of fact, the Bible says when they heard of the prospering of Jerusalem, of the people of God, they were wroth. That means they were fighting men. And so you know what they did? They got together. And they, in other words, their success made the adversary angry. And they didn't want to come and attack individually. But they got together. I read through all of the, all of the, uh, the those that came against them. Who was it? It was the Amorites and the Adoadites and, and the, the Heatites and all of the, all of, all of the um, uh, whatever you might type. And, and they're all coming together. And they're all coming against the people of God. They got together. So sometimes the hindrances, when one hindrance doesn't work, there will be a second hindrance that will get together with the first hindrance. And then there will be a third hindrance. And then there will be a fourth hindrance. And then there will be a fifth hindrance. And they all come together and they begin to war against you because they have got news that you have become steadfast. And so they begin to war more against you. And it is all targeted at your discouragement. We all war with these things. We all, all wrestle with things that are sent to hinder. Most, most of our hindrances that come from people or individuals in your life are actually good people 
that may not even be aware that they're being used of the enemy. They're being used of Satan. Satan actually is using them to come against you. Doesn't mean they're doesn't mean they're full of Satan. It means that they have gotten off track and they have allowed Satan to begin to use them to be a hindrance to you. There is a purpose and a strategy. If you pay attention, you will quickly see the strategy of Satan. He wants to hinder you. Now, when it is people, we learn how to cut them out of our everyday life and manage their attempt to hinder. Everybody deals with hindrances. It doesn't matter who you are. Everybody deals with hindrances. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil. I like to stop right there and say it's not your spouse. It's not your boss. It's not your pastor. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for somebody that is not steadfast in the faith. Because if he can find somebody that he can discourage, he's going to discourage. If he can find somebody that he will cause to, to, get, to, get, to get off balance, he will come against you and cause you to get off balance. He will find that point of weakness in your life and come against you. But the only way, I, I, I'm just completing what I've already said, verse 9, whom resists steadfast in the faith. So being saved doesn't exempt you from troubles. The differences between you and many other people in the world, the reason when the enemy comes against you, 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 the, the, the world, you know where they run to. They, they run to some, they, they run to the pill bottle or they run to alcohol or they run, they run to drugs. Uh, but, but you and I, the Bible tells us what to do when the storm comes. We're to run to the fortress. We're to run to the rock of our salvation. We're to... So may I ask you this morning, when the storm of life comes, where do you run to every time that, that a hindrance comes and you start feeling discouraged? You don't need to stay home. You need to run to the house of God. You need to run into the prayer room. You need to run to the altar. You need to run into a place of worship. Don't get discouraged and quit. Don't run to the pill bottle. Don't run to alcohol. Don't run to, to, to some other way out. I come this morning to tell you run to the rock of our salvation run to the stone whom the builders rejected for he is a fortress he is a high tower he is a strong and mighty God and able to deliver you out of the snare of the fowler he is able to strengthen you in your weakness that's why David said God is our refuge and strength a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar in trouble, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah, but there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. That's where we're going to run to. We're not running to the beggarly elements of the world. We're running to the fountain where it flows. I know in a room this size, there's probably somebody in this place this morning that came in weak and discouraged and going through heartache and struggle. But I want to tell you, you're not without strength. Because see, sometimes it's not people that hinders you. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's just life. I want you to understand this. It may just be life. Look at your neighbor and tell them it may just be life. Come on, turn to the other neighbor and tell them it may just be life. But here's what happens. We give Satan credit because he attaches himself to it. Something happens, the first thing we do is say, well, the devil's fighting. No, it's just life. 
But if you'll give him credit, he'll gladly attach himself to everything that comes to bring discouragement and to war against you. You need to stand boldly and declare, Satan, get behind me. I'm not going to be discouraged over the little things in life that come my way. It rains on the just and the unjust. Just because you walk outside and have a flat, don't bring it on the, don't blame it on the devil. It was probably the roofer that left the nail and you drove over it. It's just part of life. But if you'll allow Satan to connect to it, he'll cause you to get frustrated and doubt and get angry. Come on, you got to resist the devil and declare, I'm standing with the Lord. We're going to get past this. We're going to get through this. It's troublesome time, but I'm coming out the other side. Everything the devil does is meant to hinder you. I get up some days and everything in the world goes wrong. And, and it's those moments like that when we realize that life has a way of overwhelming us sometimes. You ever feel overwhelmed by life? But when everything comes at you, the Bible gives us clear, clear direction. What do you do? Watch and pray. When hindrances come, you need to find a word from the Lord because Satan cannot stand you using the word of God against him. When discouragement comes, get in the word of God. Open up the word. Just begin to read it. Just read it. Somebody came to me the other day and said, Pastor, I want you just to open the word and start reading it in your house. You know what? We do that in our house often. We just open the word of God and we'll read something. I'll just quote a scripture to my wife driving down the road or she'll say, hey, I want you to hear what I, what I just read, what I just saw. And Dylan walks in and says, hey, Dad, let me share with you what, what God just spoke to me. Let me share with you what, what, what I felt in prayer yesterday. Listen, when we begin to share the word of the Lord and we begin to vocalize it and verbalize it, when we start picking up the phone or sending a text instead of saying, hey, I, I, did you see and hear about what all went wrong? If we just start sending a word and start telling somebody, hey, you're going to get through this. I got a word for you. No weapon formed against you is going to prosper. I got a word for you. You feel like you failed? Come on, rejoice not against me, oh, my enemy, for when I fall, I shall arise. Come on, somebody needs to get a word and begin to use it against the enemy and send him running. Nobody's exempt from struggle. It's not because of sin. It's not because you're out of the will of God. As a matter of fact, if Satan's not fighting you, you might ought to question whether you're even in the will of God. Because Satan's going to fight you, particularly when you're in the will of God, doing what God wants you to do. He'll fight you on every side. It's not because you're out of the will of God, and it's not even because you're living right, because sometimes things just come. The Apostle Peter, he said it like this. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 I'll just paraphrase it for you. He said, don't think it's strange when trials come. <laughs> don't, don't find that strange. Hey, let, let me, let me I'll, I'll just read it to you because some of you kind of got that blank look. I don't know whether you're hungry or just, just, ready to, just ready for me to be done. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. As though, can you put that on the screen? Is that on the screen up there? Can you do that for me? First Peter chapter 4, verse number 12, Brother Mike. First Peter chapter 4, verse number 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. No, don't think it's strange as though some strange thing has happened to you. Verse 13 says, but rejoice. Mm -hmm. Look at your neighbor and tell him, but rejoice. But rejoice because in that you were partakers with Christ's suffering. 
Don't get upset because troubles come. Don't, don't get discouraged because trials come, but rather rejoice because you are a partaker with his suffering. I don't have time to get into all of this this morning, but when you are under the gun, when you're under the battle, when you're under the storm, you know what you're doing? You're just feeling a little bit, a little hint of what he went through. You're sharing in his suffering because when you are faithful through the middle of hindrance, when you are faithful through the middle of discouragement, you are you are showing, you are identifying with the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you just look over on your side and he says, I've already been there. I've already been through it. You're going to make it out the other side. And so we rejoice because we are partakers with him. I know it can be a hard pill to swallow. Oh, the happy all the time crowd says, oh, when something comes, you ought to smile and put on your happy face. No, 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 no. Joy and happiness is two different things. Happiness is a result of what happens to you. But the joy of the Lord is something that comes from, the, from, the, from God above that he puts in your spirit that on the darkest days of your life, you can resist the devil and you can stand firm and say, I will not be discouraged. I will not quit. I will not step aside because the joy of the Lord is my strength, joy and strength are connected. I came in weak this morning but I pray, I'm not praying for your happiness. You may not be happy when you leave here but I want the joy of the Lord to get up in you today and begin to strengthen you and you walk out and say I can do this. I can face tomorrow. I can make it. I can be faithful to God. We've all walked through some dark days in life. When we're there, when we're there, it can be difficult. Does anybody in the room ever feel like, like Job? Your wealth is gone. Your health is gone. He visited the cemetery ten times with all of his kids being gone. And if that isn't enough, the woman he was supposed to be his encourager and helpmate is telling him, why don't you just curse God and die? She wanted to collect the insurance check. If you read through the book of 2 Peter, you'll find one word that just keeps showing up, and it's the word suffering. None of us like to suffer. But suffering, suffering is intended for us to identify the fact that we should rejoice because we are partakers with Christ. But if you're not careful and you face your suffering unbiblical, your suffering, the enemy will attach himself to it and your suffering will become a hindrance to you. So this is how you deal with that hindrance. This is how you deal with that suffering. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. There's never a time that you are more Christ-like than when you are suffering. You are in fellowship with Jesus. Others may not understand you, but you are in fellowship with him, and that is all that matters. During my suffering, I am reminded God has already been through this, and he said that in every temptation, he would make a way of escape out of it. I'm telling you today that God will go with you through your suffering. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, I have sweet assurance that everything is going to be all right. Somebody walked in this morning saying, Pastor, what do I do when hindrances come into my life? The Bible says to watch and to pray. You know what that means? You've got to be on guard because hindrances are intended to tempt your flesh to quit, to stop, to become discouraged. And there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with you because hindrances come. They are going to come to all of us. But what we must do is must the faith to look the enemy in the eye and say I feel a hindrance in my spirit right now but I am not going to be discouraged I am not going to quit I am not going to throw in the towel I will be steadfast Satan get behind me 
thus Jesus said, Matthew 26, verse 41, I'm trying to bring this home this morning. He says, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Because here's what happens. When hindrances come, whom we are to watch and pray, Jesus says to watch and pray that we enter not into temptation. Because here's the idea. Your hindrance and your suffering can bring you into communion with God. But if you allow Satan to be to become attached to it and you are not steadfast in the faith, your hindrance will become a temptation. And temptations are not of God. Are you with me this morning? Trials may be brought by God, but temptations are not brought by God. Temptations are brought by Satan himself. And so it what matters is how you handle what you are going through. If you allow temptation, if you allow Satan to become connected, then it will become a temptation to you and you will deal with temptations to go back to the old life, to go back into a life of sin. So you have to have the Holy Ghost. That's why you've got to do more than just watch. If all you do is watch, then temptation. You identify the problem. You identify where the attack's coming. You identify, But if you're not praying with your watching, then it will become a temptation to you to fail God. But if you are praying with your watching, while you are watching, if you are praying, you will have the courage to understand the Holy Ghost is in me. And I can do all three things through Christ, which strengthens me. Because the Holy Ghost that is in you, are you ready for this? The Holy Ghost that is in you is to empower you. The Holy Ghost that is in you is to strengthen you. If you don't have the Holy Ghost today, you need it because you'll give in to temptation when it comes. But if you have the Holy Ghost in you, you have the power to become a son of God. You have the power to overcome it. And so every time something comes against you, you have to overcome. You'll never do it in the flesh because it will become a temptation. Your suffering will become a temptation but with the Holy Ghost in you it's just a setup for you to begin to depend on God and to begin to say God's going to get me through it God's going to see me through it there is nothing wrong with the Holy Ghost that's in you give me just a couple more minutes to teach you this little lesson here and then we're going to take this home Jesus said watch and pray that you enter not into temptation so it is the Holy Ghost in us that prevents us that prevents the temptation because we have resisted. So we've done more than just watch. So now we watch and pray. And so when we pray, we activate the Holy Spirit that is within us. Now here's the idea. Somebody said, well, Pastor, you don't trust me. I trust you, but I don't trust your flesh. I don't trust my own flesh. Because this flesh right here is flawed. And you know what? All the flesh on this front row right here, all this ministry right here on this front row, their flesh here, that's, that's, that's flawed flesh right there. And you know what? On every row in this room, everybody in this room, your flesh is flawed. Oh, not me. You don't know how spiritual I am. You don't know. You just don't know. No, your flesh is flawed. Without the Holy Ghost, you will fail. Because your flesh is flawed. Everybody is flawed. But God saved us even though we are flawed. Watch this. Watch this. Pay close attention. If you're a note taker, you're going to want to get this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Are you ready? Earthen vessels, flesh. But we have this, tre this treasure, the pearl of great price. The Bible speaks of it on many different, the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, but it's in this earthen vessel. So God decided to put his treasure in an earthen or flawed vessel. God put his treasure in a flawed vessel. Now, don't get it confused. The treasure is perfect. 
but the vessel is not perfect. The treasure, nothing wrong with the treasure, a lot, long, a lot wrong with the vessel. In his infinite wisdom, God has chosen his spirit to live in you. Your treasure is perfect, but God chose the place for his treasure to live in a fallible, weak, imperfect flesh. So a perfect treasure in an imperfect vessel. Anybody in this room got a lot of treasure? You're not even going to tell me if you do. If you got a lot of treasure, you know what? It's probably not on you. You probably got it stored away in a bank account somewhere or maybe in a safety deposit box or maybe stored away somewhere in a in a safe, you, you got it in some secure place because that's how that's what we do with treasure. And so that's how we think of treasure. We take what is precious to us and we put it in a place locked away somewhere in a perfect and safe place. But God, in his infinite wisdom, takes a perfect treasure and puts it in a flawed vessel. What? A flawed vessel. You don't put valuable things in random places. You put them in specific places. That's why I say to you this morning that God knew what he was doing when he put the Holy Ghost in you. He had confidence in the treasure. But he tells us, don't, don't, have, don't boast in this flesh. But there's confidence in the treasure. Is this too much for you this morning? Is this brain overload for you this morning? Give me about five more minutes and we'll take this home. So don't get haughty. Don't get lifted up and say, hey, look who I am. God has more confidence in the treasure than he has in the container that houses the treasure. Because he said the flesh is weak. He said the human heart is exceedingly wicked and who can even know it? it it's the treasure that's going to, con to, to preserve the container. It's not the container that is going to preserve the Holy Ghost that is in us. It's what's inside us that is preserving everything else about us. The outside will never be perfect enough to preserve the treasure. But the treasure on the inside will always be able to preserve what is on the outside. So don't get caught up in being an image conscious Christian saying I've got to get just the right speech and just the right words and I want to act the part and speak the part and talk the part and look the part but on the inside I know I'm not, I'm not anything. I know I'm not where I need to be. You need the Holy Ghost in you so you understand in this flesh there is nothing that is good about this flesh but through Jesus Christ when he is inside of you he is perfect he is the perfect treasure he is the pearl of great price and the treasure is not of man but it is of God so that you cannot boast in your flesh now there's a whole mouthful I just said so you if 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 the container that houses the Holy Ghost was perfect to be able to secure the Holy Ghost. Somebody said, well, I got the Holy Ghost one time, and now I'm just, I'm just preserving it. No, 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 no. You got it wrong. When the Holy Ghost is in you, it preserves everything else about you. So therefore, you no longer are in control of the flesh. To, to, you no longer are obligated to the flesh to do what the flesh says, but now the Spirit reigns in you, and it, the Spirit controls everything that is going on. I'm closing it is the treasure that kept me through temptation. It is the treasure that keeps me through my trouble. It is the treasure that preserves me in times of destruction. 
We are hindered, but we're not defeated. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. See, you and I didn't do anything to deserve being where we are, but the Holy Ghost in us saw something. God saw something good enough in us to put the Holy Ghost in us so that when we look around, we too, like the Apostle Paul, can begin to speak in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are cast down, but we're not destroyed. That's what the Holy Ghost does. The Holy Ghost strengthens you and lifts you and gives you the ability to be able to live. Hey, I may be hindered, but I am not defeated. I may be knocked down, but I'm not discouraged to a point that I can't get back up. It's just a lot of affliction. It only lasts for a moment when we weigh it against all, all eternity. Stand with me in the room this morning. Trouble won't last always. It's just a distraction. It's only a hindrance. It's not going to defeat you. Your trial won't last always. You ought to look at that same neighbor that you've been talking to all morning just because I commanded you to. You ought to look at him and say, this hindrance is not going to defeat me. Oh, no, no, no. This hindrance is not going to defeat me. I refuse to let my troubles nor my troublers win. I may, be de- I may be hindered, but I refuse to be defeated. If you're in this house today and I've spoken to you, you've been hindered by distractions in your life. The enemy has just attached himself to everything that has come your way. You ought to step out from where you are and walk to the front of this room today and say, hey, he saw something in me. He put the Holy Ghost in me, and he saw something in me that is worth saving. I didn't, I was not, there ain't nothing good about me, but he saw something. He saw enough in me to save me. He saw enough in me to fill me with his spirit. He saw something in me that is good. Come on, somebody in this room ought to respond to what God is saying. Come on, we got to be watching, and but we also got to be praying. We got to be watching, and we've got to be praying. Come on, we got to be on guard. We've got to be ready. We've got to be ready. Let's seek the Lord for a little while today. These altars are open. If you don't know him today, I invite you to step forward. Step to the front of this room. And just come give your heart to him this morning and declare. I'm going to see a victory in my life. I'm not going to live in defeat. 